We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Parkins and Spiegel Show. If y'all ready, give me a hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. The guys at part of my take, Big Cat and PFT, had Poles and Eberflus together. Damn, Eberflus. I wish Eberflus did more of that kind of talking. He's a cat guy, though? Yeah. Is, is that what you're telling me? It says that you have four cats. Oh, Incorrect. No. I you have two cats. Oh, okay. no. They were adopted when I was in Dallas. Okay. Okay. And named after the movie Frozen. Anna and Elsa. Okay. So it's incorrect. So the four cats thing is we can dispel that. Yes, Don't you, use your kids to get out of this. No. If you're a cat it, guy, it you're a cat like guy. We're using well, kids. I've, yeah. been, I've been around ladies my whole life. So I got uh-huh. two daughters and I got my wife of 27 years. So uh, they are certainly cat people. And now I am a cat person. Uh, a cat guy? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to know that there are other cat people in the world. A two I told cat. you. I, I, there was something off about Eberflus from the moment I saw him. <laughs> this is just only going to embolden you. So this would be a little bit. You know, cat and dog play. Yeah. And they let him off the hook there. Just because he's not a four-cat guy, being a two-cat guy is... He blamed it on his daughters. He did. His daughters and his wife. Yeah. He's been around ladies his whole life. <laughs> I've been around ladies my whole life. So. <laughs> yeah. His wife of 27 years and his two daughters. So I think we know what Floos was trying to say. That These are the only ones. These are the only ones. That he's loved enough to get him to become a cat person. I think that's what he's saying. Get him the f*** out. He's a snake with fur. You all Italians will tell you, you can't even put them around the baby. They suck the breath right out. Well, you're the only baby here, so we're ahead of the game. You want to be wearing this poke on your head? I said get rid of him. Now I am a cat person. I'm not sure what the Bears are doing here. One, one, two, three. three. And here, here we go, go Here we go. Here we go, Jack. Here we go, Tony. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Afternoons from 2 to 6 on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. I questioned it when they hired a defensive coach. If I had known it was a defensive coach who was a cat guy, I would have been way out on Matt Eberflus. But if Ryan pulls aces this offseason, everything will be fine. Speaks is here, just had to step out for a minute, so I'm going to hang out with you for just a couple of minutes because we like to, uh, when we book guests at 2.30, we're going to step aside briefly so we can have a nice long conversation with Blackjack McDowell. He says stuff. That guy's got takes, and uh, we'll talk about his role in the last Comiskey documentary and uh, also pitch clocks and new rules and modern baseball and all of that stuff. I don't know what's going on with any of it. And we'll see if he can top that line uh, from his last appearance. But the NFL news is the tra- uh, the franchise tag deadline uh, is today is that the Ravens have placed the non-exclusive Franchise tag on Lamar Jackson, which basically means uh, other teams can negotiate with them. So the difference between where Lamar has been and he doesn't have an agent and where the Ravens have been, he's going to get let the market kind of dictate it and he's free to talk to other teams, but other teams are only going to engage with him if they're really willing to give up two first round picks and pay him. My guess is this is going to work out pretty well for the Ravens and uh, already the team that most people assumed would be interested in him. The Atlanta Falcons 
Diana Rossini of ESPN is saying that the Atlanta Falcons will not pursue quarterback Lamar Jackson, according to a source. So how does that all relate to the Bears? You know, you want as many teams to need quarterbacks at the top of the draft or really in the first half of the draft at this point, if Ryan Poles is really to trade down as possible. So uh, Baltimore, if they gave him up, would have a ton of draft capital and then would need a quarterback. Uh, but if a team in that, you know, eight, nine range, like Carolina or Atlanta went out and got Lamar Jackson, that seems to be the prime trade down, get two first rounders into the future and still get a top 10 pick. So that's a spot where I would say if you're the bears, you don't want, Atlanta or Carolina to get first round picks because you probably don't want to trade down as far as you would need to with Baltimore in this draft. So that's the biggest news in the NFL. We'll continue to monitor uh, other situations, including what happens with the Giants and Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley. But coming up next to talk pitching and Comiskey and some good White Sox vibes ahead of Poles position at three o'clock. We're going to have a long conversation with Blackjack McDowell. We'll see if he's offended that he is number 23 on Spiegs' favorite baseball players of the last 30 years. It's next on The Score. Parkinson Spiegel Show flashback. 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 Jack McDowell. Watch the news today. Oh, they're telling us, watch out, because Russia's going to get into our technology and try to mess with our stuff. Wait a minute. They can get into our technology from Russia? Well, you don't think that the front office can get into the technology that's running the strike zone at the home stadium? Shall we play a game? Let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. It wouldn't be every pitch. It would be, okay, base is loaded. You know, we got to get this pitch right here. Strike! Oh, yeah. quick! Uh, uh, you know? Strike. The pitch is off the plate called a strike. Strike. Just get over there and umpire, will you? Strike. What in the hell are you doing? Strike. That is so bad, that is absolutely brutal. Strike. Here's an umpire in the American League knows nothing about the game of baseball. And another thing. The Parkins and Spiegel Show. Afternoons on The Score. He was so electric the last time we had him on. We were like, we got to find an excuse to call Blackjack McDowell. we got to find an excuse to call Blackjack McDowell. And we're like, oh, last Comiskey. Yeah, he's in it. Because there he was, man. There he is in it. One of the things we need to find out is where he was when he was filming it. Yes. Because it was very, I was confused. Well, he's on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Blackjack, how the hell are you, man? Uh, Doing all right. What's going on? Not much, man. Uh, So where were you when you filmed for that documentary? Paint the picture for our audience who hasn't seen it, maybe. Wow, that was a long time, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, like there, there was a lot of memorabilia behind you, and I thought I saw like a rack of shirts. Like I thought maybe you were at a gift shop or something like oh, that. That that's that is my office in my home here in Charlotte. I've got all the shirts and stuff all around me. Yeah, I uh, hung it up here. Uh, see, our, what, our what, White why? Sox <laughs> super fan, Chris Tannehill, is very excited. He nailed that. He thought it was your office. That's pretty neat. So in your office, there's just a rack of T-shirts? What's going on there? Well, I have the rack of T-shirts. I got a bunch of pictures and different things up that I just put up. Just, you know, that a couple things that my parents had up and a couple things that I just put on and put up on there. Do, do, do you have were – those, were those chairs from old Comiskey in your office? Yes, I do. I have the one double-seater because they gave us – they gave us each player one of the double-seaters 
the following year. All right. Wow, that's awesome. So, so and I, the funny thing is also I've got one of the old bricks too. <laughs> and how are you supposed to know that just this crazy looking brick is an actual brick from old Comiskey? <laughs> yeah, you, you're you're supposed to tell us which which you're, you're telling us. If I was in the office, we were in the office. You could tell us. So so we were just talking about old Comiskey. Was it a um, a disgusting, decrepit place or a wonderful, historic, lovely place or both, Blackjack? I mean, it was the first major league stadium I ever played in. So it was really cool. There was nothing really wrong with it. Um, but it seemed like they really wanted that new stadium to come in. So they just kind of let it go down a little bit. Was it, was it fun to go down memory lane for, you know, like when, when you, when you think of the old stadium, what, what, what are the first memories that come to mind? Oh, just showing up there, <laughs> showing up there and playing for a couple of years. You know, and then crossing over the street to the new one. Yeah, yeah, they made the commute easy. They uh, some of the stuff in there, man. Your chef, the 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 team chef, Chicken Willie, like yeah. like working in a corner of the clubhouse because it was just this. He just had this kitchen in this tiny little corner clubhouse, and like, did you ever go back there during a game and eat what he was cooking? Seemed like that was a thing that was an option for players. Well, not too often we didn't do that, but you know what? You know where they really did it, where we would eat during the game, was in Milwaukee. <laughs> what? He was what? he was making hot dogs in the back and all this stuff, and so you know, if you if you weren't playing that day, you go back there and get one and eat it. <laughs> gotcha. That's what we did at the old Milwaukee Stadium. So we're talking to Blackjack McDowell here on on the score. You know, the, I don't know if you've watched. Have you watched any spring training? I haven't seen any, no, no. All right, well, so are you aware of uh, the new rules that are going to be there this year? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of all the stuff being talked about and all the stuff going on, and, you know, I know why it's not realistic, and I don't. I just don't understand why they're doing it because it's not, you know, they keep saying to speed up the game, to speed up the game, but if we want to talk true metrics, facing one other batter is what? How, what, how long do you think that facing a batter, the average facing of one batter, how much time is that? Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it depends, obviously, on what happens in the at-bat and everything. Exactly. Well, what would, the, what would the average be, do you think? What's going on now? As many, as many walks as there are, as many foul balls as there are because of the launch angle swing and all that. It just seems like there's always a bunch of pitches. It's never just like, you know, guy hits the first pitch and that's it or whatever. Not very often, but I would imagine, you know, that's the one thing I want to check out is go back. I can go back to our old films and just say, okay, what's the average timing of an at bat for a hitter in the major leagues? And the thing is, oh yeah, you know, we're speeding up the game by, you know, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Well, guess what? If a guy makes an error and now you have to face one more batter, well, that's going to add probably three minutes on to it on the end. If you have to face another batter or if you walk a guy and then you got to face another guy, you know, that's, that's where the timing of the game is. You can't change the timing of the game of baseball because it's all about whatever the end result's going to be. What's the end result? 
of how many batters you're going to face and how many pitches you're going to throw against them and, you know, that kind of thing. That's where the reality is. You can't speed up the game realistically. Well, they can, though. Because they're speeding up each individual pitch. So if they go like, if they make it all small like that and just think about each pitch, it showed last year in the minors, games were faster by like 30 minutes. So that's what they're going for is speeding up each individual pitch. Because some of these guys, Jack, they'll walk around the mound between every pitch, take a minute and a half, breathe deep, have a moment of zen, look up to the sky, you know, think about everything, and then throw it as hard as they freaking can. So that's not how you did it, but that's how some of these guys do it. That's what they're trying to say. Well, yeah, and they throw a ton of balls, too, because of that. Right, because they're not in a rhythm. But but even in this spring, the the game times are, you know, coming in like two and a half hours. It's – so the, the the pace seems to have improved greatly, and it is shaving time off the overall length of the game. Well, we'll see what goes on with it in reality. I yeah. mean, it's also it's also spring training. Have they timed many spring training games when you know you've got a bunch of players on the field that aren't even going to be playing in the big leagues either? They're just there to see how they're doing, and you know everyone's doing individual stuff, and you're not trying to necessarily win the game a lot of times so it's just it's different (laughs) no it is is different Uh, how how do you think you would have dealt with it how how would you have dealt with uh 15 seconds a lot of people used to say oh you know you used to pitch quickly and I, i never really thought about it the only time that i really thought about my mental image of how, you know, oh, I threw the pitch, I saw what it was, and now I had thought about what the next pitch was going to be, and I just got up there and did it. You know, it was it was a quick memory thing that I had. And I remember, and I forget which umpire it was, but there was one umpire during our time that he would call a pitch, and it would be quietly called. Our catcher would know, but he wouldn't, like, stick his hand out and say strike or not put his hands out and say ball. And so I'd throw a pitch and I'd go, whoa, was that a strike or a ball? Wait, what's going on? And I wouldn't have, I would have to wait, 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 and then turn around and look at the scoreboard to see if a ball or a strike went up on there. And then I realized at that time how quick my mentality for the next pitch was. And that was weird. That messed me up a little bit because I was like, whoa, I was real frustrated because I didn't get it quickly to know because my brain wasn't working the way it normally worked. So that I'll tell you what, that is one thing that I teach all the young kids when I'm teaching them baseball too, because their games get called by their coaches pretty much all the way from little league, all the way through college, the coaches call the game. And if you think about that, you're up there as a pitcher you don't have any mental preparation for the pitch because you're just on the mound standing there. You don't have the grip that you are going to get you what it's going to be. The catcher puts the sign down. You go, okay, I got to do that. And then you go into the windup and go, but you haven't really mentally prepared for it. So I teach all the kids, if I'm teaching them like throwing side days and stuff like that, you need to visually see the last five feet of where the pitch is going to go. So that's a real quick mentality of it. So when you're throwing a side day and you know what pitch you're going to throw, because you're going to still do it, do it and create that as your mentality, because you'll get out there in the game. If you do that enough, you know, hundreds of times over the week where you do that, 
you'll get to a game and you won't even have to think about it. Your brain will naturally do that where you actually get a little, a little bit of predetermining where the pitch is going to go and actually getting to check it out. Well, it, than- a lot of these guys are nibbling, Jack. They're nibbling because they know that they're not going to pitch that much. You threw 260 innings in 1992, 256 innings the year after that, and you didn't really walk people that much, like 69 walks in the 256 inning thing. So you just went right after people as a way to stay later in the game, right? Because that's what they're trying to get back to. They want pitchers to attack, and maybe they'll end up staying later. And it, the interesting thing about it, if you go back and you know look at all the stats and things like that, if I gave up a handful of runs in on a game that we were winning, if we're winning by like, you know, three or four runs, I'm throwing the ball and saying, put it in play, you know? Yeah. You don't keep just one run out and guess what? They're going to have to get three or four hits to, to score a run. And that's another thing I'll teach the pitchers too. I'll go, Hey, listen, hall of fame hitters. What's their batting average? 310, something like that. Okay. So the best hitters in the history of baseball, they get out seven out of 10 times. Well, yeah, there's walks. So why are you walking people? Why do you give them freebies? Why are you trying to get them to swing and miss at every single pitch? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And and, 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 and and they're going back to that wanting defense. So you you went down the plate. Blackjack Medell's with his on Parkinson Spiegel, except when you were throwing inside, like really close to people or hitting people. You didn't hit people that much, but sometimes you did. That great moment in Last Comiskey when he's throwing inside, you're throwing inside to Canseco and McGuire. You hit both of them in the same game, didn't you, Jack? What happened there? You know what? I saw that I saw that video the other day in Canseco. Well, the thing about Jose, if you look at his setup of his batting stance, his right elbow is over the plate. It's yeah. really it's it's really on the corner over the plate and it almost was like, okay, if that's a target and I can hit I can throw it right near his elbow, there's no way he's gonna be able to hit that pitch. But if you have too much movement, you know, it's gonna move in that one that that one that McGuire when he you know, when he got hit and then he showed me the two fingers saying, That's the second one, what are you doing? And that ball moved so much. I just pulled off on the fastball too much. And it like two seamed in probably about four feet. Going, oh, goodness gracious. That was a crazy pitch. That would have been a great pitch if I was thrown to a lefty. <laughs> so did you think McGuire was going to charge you and, and, and go after you? That's a large man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't throw it guys. I was I wasn't doing the Nolan Ryan move. Where every every home run that got hit, he would drill the guy the next time. <laughs> like on my goal was, man, if they hit a home run off me, you know what my biggest goal was? I want to get him out the next time. Did anyone ever intimidate you when they when they stepped into the box? Um, the weirdest thing happened. Kirk Gibson did a weird thing one time. So I think we were I think we were leading, and they wanted him to take pitches. And he knew that I was just going to throw balls right down the middle because we were ahead by four or five runs. Funny that I just talked about that to you. That's what I used to do. And he knew that. 
And I think that his manager said, go up there and you're going to take the pitch. And he came out and started screaming at me. And I didn't know what he was saying. And I was just like, what is he? What's the matter? Why is he yelling at me? Is he, what's, what's going on? You know, nothing happened. Nothing's going on. I don't know what's up. But I think was he saying, are you going to throw the ball down the middle or are you going to try to get me out? He was screaming. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty much going to throw the ball down the middle, dude. Go ahead. Hit it. Man, you you were a, you were a tough sob man, and people loved watching you. And you were, I gotta say, you were cool as hell. I saw you with stick figure playing at this place called Martyrs up on Lincoln Avenue. I'm like, all right, this dude will will throw 200 innings and then play a Rickenbacker 12 string. I think it was at the time. It's like he's he's doing everything I I wish that I could do in the world. I wanted to be you, Jack McDowell, at the time. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun doing the guitar stuff for sure. <laughs> Were you um what happened when you and Eddie Vedder got in that brawl in New Orleans? And are you still friendly with Eddie Vedder? Well, we talked a little bit. He's he's not even in the country very often anymore. They moved out, so I think they were over in France and I'm not even sure what they're up to these days. Um that it was it was he had called me down there because they were they had a concert down there and one of the opening bands was from Chicago. And so he's like, why don't you come down? We're, we're also, they were recording their second record down there at the same time too. And he said, come on down to the show. And so I went down to the show and what, at the end of the show, both bands and me went to a bar and some dude just started going after Eddie. And he found out who he was. He started like screaming at him and coming up like he was going to push him and stuff. And, it was weird. And then, you know, the guy walked away, they got him out of there. And then he did it again, again, like three or four times while we were in there. And finally we all just said, let's get out of here. This is weird. And so we all start leaving and we go outside and that guy came out and throws a punch at Eddie. Man, (laughs) this is is 93. Eddie Vedder is like one of the biggest rock stars in the world at that point in 1993. Oh yeah. So he throws a punch. Dude throws a punch. Sorry. Yeah, he, he threw a punch. Daddy, so That's I where the story ends? <laughs> and I guess his friend was working at that bar. And that dude came up behind me. I didn't even know he was there and smacked me on the back of the head and knocked me over. And I hit my head on the bumper of a car and got knocked out. Oh, man. <laughs> it's four in the morning in the French Quarter in New Orleans. That'll get you. And that guy, yeah, and that guy, that, that guy ended up getting arrested later. Uh, yeah. Sounds yeah, like that's, deserved uh, it. that's probably how that story ends. Mm. What, was, uh, what was spring training like when Michael Jordan was around? Oh, it was cool. I liked I mean, he used to come out to spring training games or he'd come out like in April to the home fields and throw and just do a little thing. As he knew, he, he knew how to play baseball a little bit, even before that old thing started. And I'll tell you what, I think he would have been a good pitcher because he went off the mound one time and was pitching, you know, just, just to do it. And I taught him how to throw the splitter and it was nasty. I was like, Oh, you already got it, man. Wow. That is crazy. And he threw really good. 
And then it was like a few years later when the whole thing happened, when he had to come out and actually play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing happened and he, ha- had, he to had, play. had to come out and play baseball. Oh, is that, does that mean you think there was, are you one of those guys who thinks that the league said go away for a little while, Jack? Well, I think that's what the whole thing was. It was the one year thing he got for the, what for, I forget what it was for. What what was it for for the betting or something yeah. that went on? Uh, all, all, the, well, all the gambling debts. They that say was the rumor. They, they, yeah, there was a rumor that it was all the gambling debts. The NBA said, you you got to go away. Did Michael give off that vibe? Is that what it felt like? Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea wow. what the deal was. But, you know, that's just kind of interesting that, he just left for that one year and then went back. Yeah, it was interesting. I agree. Yeah. So, so how was he as a student? So, so you're you're we're talking to Blackjack McDowell. You're saying it's a few years before the '94 season. He's just hanging out with you guys in spring training. He's on the mound, and you're like, "Hey, Michael Jordan, league MVP. I want to teach you the splitter." Like, is that that's how that well, goes he down? Was we just we just talked about different pitches and did that. He was throwing. It was kind of fun to watch him throw. I knew he had a good arm. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. A good athlete like that can pick up anything, I suppose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever strike him out? Like, did you ever face him when he was in the box? Um, through batting practice. Well, I threw some pitches to him. that The year before, like before the spring training, when I was still – I was in Chicago. I was still one of the few dudes who lived in Chicago year-round. Went to Comiskey to play – not Comiskey, whatever they want to call it, but it was new Comiskey then. Um, and they wanted to know, they wanted him to see me throw. So I threw a side day while he stood in the box and just kind of watched the pitches. So he got to see kind of what the pitching would look like at this era, you know, now that it wasn't high school anymore. You're in Charlotte, man. We're, my, my, you're not far from where Jordan, jo- or Jordan is. You guys should hang out. What the hell? I know. I've seen him a couple times over the years, but not too much recently. Man, do you golf? He can get you an invitation to the Grove. Yeah, I, I'm not a golfer, man. Never really did it. That was funny because all the pitchers back in our area were golfers. <laughs> So they had something to do for the four days they didn't pitch. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you do anything uh, athletically to scratch that itch these days, Jack? Uh, yeah. Give my dog, give my doggies long walks, and and then they they like to run. So I jog with them. That's cool. You play guitar still for fun? And co- coaching a bunch of kids, so I throw a ton of batting practice, and you know you hit ground balls and all that, and that's how you stay in shape. Mm. And I love working on baseball fields. And it happens all the time because the mounds and it's most of the mounds with the kids and all that stuff, they use that kind of sandy stuff. And then it's like, okay, they start, they start playing. Now all of a sudden their whole foot, it's almost down to their knee in front of the rubber. Hey, hey, be careful, man. That's what Robin Ventura was doing. And then the White Sox called him back to manage. Remember that? He was like, Working on fields, so maybe that maybe that call's coming. <laughs> no, nah, it won't be won't be for them. So <laughs> oh. no, I've been I've been too I understand that I've been too negative on all the new metrics and all that, so I'll never get a chance to, to do it unless they get realistic and change back to it. Even though the stuff that I tried to turn towards the metrics stuff saying, Hey, you guys 
you guys know all this. Why don't you do this, this, and this? That'll actually help. And none of that stuff's really being done, but whatever. Yeah. No, that may, uh, yeah. Well, so you're going to take Roger Bossard's job. You're going to just run the field, manage the field. <laughs> nah, I'm not going to do the fields there. <laughs> all right. Well, Jack, like it's been... little, I like doing the little league fields and building those mounds because they don't really know how to do it. Like with the real, the real hard clay that hardens up and you can, you know, you know, you aren't just doing it with the 70% sand clay. And here in, in Charlotte, you have the, the red clay dirt everywhere. So if I'm going to like rebuild a mound, it's cool. I'll just go to where they're building houses and stuff and just say, Hey, can I get a bucket full of this dirt? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And grab a bucket there, grab a bucket there. And you got super good, the good real clay dirt here. I kind of want to hang out with Jack McDowell and uh, smoke a bowl and watch a baseball game. That'd Danny. be fun. I don't know if he'd be into it. Would you be into it, Jack? Of playing, of watching a game and smoking a bowl. Nah, I don't smoke the bowl. Oh, good for you. <laughs> we'll do that. All right, we'll take care of that. I actually, I actually stopped drinking a long time ago too. Good for you. <laughs> Living clean. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, I it's not for me, but <laughs> I've know. heard I've heard people enjoy. Yeah, I, I hear people seem to enjoy it. Uh, well, Jack, thanks for answering our call, man. It's always fun to get your opinion on stuff and hear some stories from back in the day, man. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, All right. Jack. We'll talk to you down the road. It's Black Jack McDowell. Damn. I thought for sure he'd smoke that pole no. with me. Man, not interested. How amazing would it have been if, like, no, I just don't use glass. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got to twist something up. Yeah, no, I'm all edibles now. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That would have been incredible. Tinctures. Uh, tinctures. <laughs> mix it into my coffee. Yeah. Yo, why would you ever think, dude, that he'd smoke weed? Why? My favorite text was this interview brought to you by standing in a garage at a family reunion. <laughs> brought to you by the walk with your cousins. <laughs> I loved it. I uh, loved it too. Uh, it was it was tenuous. Man. Man, it doesn't it matter. Was, I don't know. You, you think stuff. Yeah, oh. That's weird that he just kind of had to walk away for a year there. Huh? <laughs> that was amazing though. It's like what's he gonna he say? He taught Jordan a, a splitter. Taught yeah. the man a splitter. I enjoyed it. You guys didn't uh, didn't tell him he was number twenty three on the list. Cool. I know. He thinks I'm still he's still higher on the list. Twenty three is fine. You know what? He'd really care about that. (laughs) Eric Edholm going to join us for polls position. He was at the combine. If they're going to be down further uh, than four, who are some second and third uh, ranked edge rushers, receivers, tackles? We're going to go to that next crop of guys with Eric Edholm next on the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.